John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 039.EZ4705, certificate number 36634, the Ambassador Bridge. Now, I know you're a capitalist. (sighs) Absolutely. And you believe strongly that capitalism is the best... Do you not read my system? Do you not read my blog, Marxist Dad? <laughs> Got lots of tips for the Marxist dads out there. Marxist dads, what are some of your tips? <laughs> um, <laughs> it really doesn't work out. Being, yeah, sure. Being, being a Marxist dad in our modern culture, it's a little, it's a little bit of an uphill battle. Uh, but capitalism, I, the, I don't want to shock you or our future listeners to say that capitalism left unfettered often produces surprisingly inefficient results. You're not supposed to say that. I know. I know. You want to think I mean, I guess the libertarians weren't donating on Patreon anyway. So No, that's true. They believe that we should we should lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. I can't believe these guys want money for their show. So we're not going to lose any income by saying that we think this. But yeah, that's the 20th century has kind of been a series of I mean, I know we have to see it as the failure of communism, but you can also see a bunch of terrible excesses of uh, of the capitalist way of life as well. Yeah, and one of the dangers one of the one of the dangers of capitalism, of course, is uh, monopoly. Right, monopoly uh, is is what results when one um, ambitious and and avaristic capitalist decides to corner the market on a thing, a product or a service, and uh, he's avaristic. Avaristic. <laughs> avaricious. Oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. Avaricious is the word. Avaricious sounds like a black exploitation movie. I'd go, go see Avaricious. <laughs> avaricious. He's the private dick who's a sex machine to all the chicks. <laughs> yeah, avaristic. It's, it's, it sounds more like altruistic. He's, like he's part avaricious and part atavistic or altruistic. Atavistic. <laughs> but, um, but there are plenty of instances in the 20th century and and uh, and 19th century where we see that uh, that letting the market make the decisions doesn't always produce the most efficient results. I mean, I feel like we're living in a time where the, you know, a small group of people have figured out how to make those rules work for them and only them. Yeah. Well, yeah, because money begets money, 
right? If you have money, you make money. And if you don't have money, you don't, you don't end up being on the side of, uh, you don't end up being on the victor's podium, right? Even in court cases. I mean, it generally tends that, that, um, that money collects, but in the United States, transportation was often a way for, um, for money to accrue unto a family or unto a corporation because the United States is a big com- uh, big country and uh, we produce a lot of goods and services, but also natural resource exploitation, like transportation, trucking, Got to get it around. and trains and Railroad shipping. Railroad money, right? That's right. It, um, like in my favorite book, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> well, and in our, you know, we've done a couple of omnibuses on uh, on the sort of various the way that the land was apportioned to railroad companies. Mm. Um, checkerboarding. Checkerboarding is right. CF checkerboarding. Early on in the omnibus. So transportation ends up being, uh, it's an aspect of the global economy that we, uh, that becomes kind of invisible to us. I mean, we're, we're, we're very aware of trucks on the highway, of ships on the ocean, but the idea that it's all an interconnected infrastructural kind of web of that those trucks on the highway aren't just uh, annoyances, they aren't just obstacles, and they aren't just point-to-point systems, but that you know ships lead to trains, lead to trucks, lead to vans, lead to um, lead to your Amazon bringing you your little whatever Furby. That's the the box of replacement staples I ordered in its own <laughs> box with padding. Right. Did you, I mean, you can see how quickly store shelves empty in the case of a, an emergency, you know, like if, if a city thinks a storm is coming or a blackout is coming or whatever, shelves are just empty within days. Well, within, yeah, hours. Hours. Uh, same thing can happen with fuel. It happens with a lot of commodities. And you realize, you just assume there's always going to be Every brand of marshmallow and every brand of cereal will be right there for you because we're entitled awful people right? because of the corrosive effects of capitalism. Well, but and you don't realize that a hundred people, thousands of people have been working hard to make sure that got to you. And it's one of the, uh, it's one of the most popular refrains in the apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic crowd, the preppers and the, um, you know, the bunker builders. Uh, they're quick to remind us what a fragile system that is and uh, and quick to say, yeah. like, in the event of a catastrophic event, an earthquake, um, you know, uh, any kind of, like, breakdown of society, uh, that once the grocery store is empty and don't fill back up again, uh, we really are on our own, and the and the the web is exactly that fragile. And I am I, I am totally that person who just thinks of the grocery store as an aquifer that will just keep pro- <laughs> keep producing marshmallows to the edge of the shelf, and no matter how many I take, they're just going to keep coming out the back. And that's not how supermarkets work. No, and in fact, my mom is the opposite. I mean, you would be uh, maybe having heard a little bit about my mom. Futurelings would not be surprised to learn that at eighty five years old, she has four years worth of stores uh, in her basement bunker, duffel bags full of top ramen. And she had a hard scrabble upbringing. She did. And she's ready for the big one. She, she has, uh, she bolted her house to its foundation. She has, she has all met. She's, and she's said to me many times, like I intend to help our neighbors. So don't, don't, you know, close this blast door and lock it. 
<laughs> uh, we, we're, uh, you know, the people we know in the neighborhood are also welcome in the bunker. And I'm like, mom, that's not how bunkers work. <laughs> it's not a bunker if everybody's in there. It's like one of those lounges at the airport. Yeah. The only fun is that not everybody can get in. She wants, she wants to do, she wants both sides. She wants to have, she wants to have food for our family for the, for the five years it takes to reestablish contact with the outside world. But she also would never not answer the door. I had a bunch of drums of cracked week, but do you know what happened? What? They, uh, I left them in your garage or your barn, I think, mm. as a as a bit of set dressing. And yeah. now you sold your barn. Yeah, that's Somebody right. just inherited all my cracked wheat. The new owners have all the cracked wheat. Did you put that in the listing? <laughs> Do you like Jeopardy? Do you like cracked wheat? Because... <laughs> How would you like Ken Jennings' bundle of cracked this wheat? This is the barn for you. So yeah, if things go wrong, I'm just, you know putting my stuff in a bindle and walking to your barn. Yeah. Well, no, come to my new house. Cause that's where I'm, I'm, I'm replenishing all the stores. Is, is that where the bunker is? No, the new bunker. But the f- system is, is more fragile than even the, the, even this, right? We, we think about uh, a, a catastrophe, something that shuts the system down and we're all s- frantically scrambling. But as you mentioned, we see in the event of a hurricane, uh, we we hear apocalyptic scenarios about the state of Florida all the time, where it wouldn't take much, it wouldn't take, um, it wouldn't take seas much higher than they already are to wash out whole communities there, or to isolate the entire state of Florida into a or or in the case of <laughs> You're California, this sound like a plan, you know, like uh, right, isolate. <laughs> I've figured out then, how to do it. Then destroy uh, California. Sure. Is always it seems like just a few days from being in a truly desperate situation, but um, but our network is even more fragile in that the the collapse of one or two bridges, um, one or two raggedy old bridges, would be enough to shut down commerce between you know like well, there was a there was a, a freeway bridge that collapsed in Minnesota a few years ago I in remember. Minneapolis that was just an example of decaying infrastructure that hadn't been maintained. Everybody everybody knew, right, that this yeah. bridge was kind of in bad shape. Totally shabby bridge and uh and and when it collapsed it had a real a dramatic economic impact on the region because it was a main thoroughfare where You just take it for granted passed. that today rivers are not an obstacle, you know? Right. And then the past civilizations would have like been built around the idea of rivers is impassable, impregnable, you know, you got to have a ferry or a ford or something. And today, you know, it's it's an annoyance when a bridge backs up because, oh, I'm going to have to go around to the, yeah, the other, the other highway bridge. Or, right. Do you remember that, uh, the bridge north of Seattle? I, what river is that? The, it's on the Skykomish or the Snohomish I, River? I think it's the Skykomish. And it turned out it was, when that bridge collapsed, I-5 over that little river, Yeah, it turned out to be... The only bridge for miles in either direction. And that just kind of stopped the region. <laughs> it's really tough to get around that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was an example of just a big truck that hit the truss and knocked it into the river. So transportation is uh, not the solution, it turns out. Well, it's, and if you think about... Trucks are knocking out their own bridges. Like if uh, the, 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 there are two tunnels and a bridge that lead into Manhattan from mm-hmm. New Jersey. And they're all extremely vulnerable. When uh, yes, when, this is the plot of the third Batman movie. <laughs> <laughs> when when nine eleven happened, um, you know the threat of of uh, of those bridges, or I'm sorry, those tunnels being flooded was a real. I mean, it would have it would have represented an, 
a much greater disaster. When you're talking about how fragile these bridges are, you're not encouraging no. people to take them out and to uh, no, no, no. create their own fiefdom in some some part of this great land. No, if we are going that to... That certainly happened, future listeners know, but it wasn't, it wasn't because we encouraged it. When Manhattan gets turned into a giant prison island... At that point, you're going to have to. Uh, Manhattan have to fend was for a yourselves. giant pr- prison island between 1978 <laughs> and about 1990. Like 72. Uh, but one of the uh, one of the choke points, one of the most kind of uh, outrageous and interesting uh, bridges in the United States is um, is the Ambassador Bridge between <clears throat> Detroit, Michigan, and Windsor, Canada, Windsor, Ontario. Ontario. I've never uh, heard of this bridge. Well, I know the trivia fact about how Detroit is the one weird place. Or Windsor, I guess, is the one weird place in Canada where if you go north, you're in the United States. Yeah. Go due south from almost anywhere in Detroit, and you're in Canada because of, it's. I don't know what to call that little tendril of Canada. That, Isthmus, a little, uh, the point, the southernmost tip of Canada, I think they, yeah. they call it. It's got a weird, it looks like a nose or something, like kind of sniffing it at the mitten of Michigan. Yeah, I, I think of it as uh, as maybe the the waddle of um of like a giant. It's got India bull. It's like uh, Canada's poking us with a fork. Like America, you're done. It's in there. It's getting up under us. Like in, <laughs> yeah. It's a little tickle. It's it's cupping Detroit. <laughs> Stop cupping Detroit. Detroit didn't consent to that. Uh, the Detroit River separates Ontario from Michigan, but it also is part of the Great Lakes greater uh, waterway. Sure, it, it connects two of the Great Lakes, it right? Connects it connects be... Lake Huron to Lake Erie, right. and Lake Erie is the is the lake that goes, you know, that that uh, is the northern border of Ohio, mm-hmm. and Lake Michigan on the far side between Michigan and and Illinois, and then Lake Huron is between Michigan and you know, northern or sort of, I'm sorry, southern Ontario. What I, Michigan I, and Huron is all a fraud, by the way. They're really one lake. Yeah, I know. There's, but, there's nothing that would make you say those are two lakes. Well, they're, there's that they're point where they narrow. <laughs> <laughs> right, but nobody would go to Angle Lake is, is south of Seattle and be like, these are two lakes that meet at a point. There's, I mean, a, it's, there's tradition and probably the order in which they were discovered right. is why we think of them as being five great lakes. They come to a little... Uh, 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 a little waste at at uh, at Mackinac City, yes, and they hang down on either side like like a yolk, uh, uh, not not a yolk. I was really worried about what you were going to like say. Like a yolk, not not like two giant bull testes, but like a yolk. Mm. Like I mean, I like I like to identify geographical features according to what part of a bull they represent. <laughs> Don't we? <all? laughs> in, in this sense, like Bulgaria, bullies. Yeah. Bull well, Larousse. you know, no the 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 crazy thing is that um, that if you're going to call those two separate lakes, why in the world isn't why in the world don't you call Georgian Bay its own Georgian Bay, which is a sure. which is a part of Lake Huron? Why the heck isn't it its uh, its own lake? Let the record show that John had, was lifting his uh, bifocals <laughs> to peer at the map to give us this update on. <laughs> On the autonomy of Georgian Bay, yeah, but but the there are um, there was a, a a shipping. I mean, this is this was all a shipping route uh, in the era of the Erie Canal and the and when when boats did did the lion's share of of the heavy lifting, the the commerce of the, basically the American Midwest, all of the grains and the cattle and the 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 uh, agricultural output 
of the entire Midwest had to get to the eastern seaboard some way. Did it all go on the Edmund Fitzgerald? Well, no, that was before the Edmund Fitzgerald, but but because that would be bad. But before the railroads, this was this was how all that St. Lawrence Seaway. That's yeah. right. All the wealth of the of the breadbasket went out through this route and that's shipping, why we sing about the erie canal we do although the erie canal we should do an omnibus on it boy it was a big project and and uh it opened and then the railways were invented and it like became obsolete pretty fast the saint lawrence seaway still does a, a lot of traffic but because it goes to the atlantic not to albany right <laughs> <laughs> i think that might be the big difference well, but the, uh, then albany connects to yeah, to yeah, the river you know When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout during the age of the railroad and particularly like later on in uh, the 19th century it was recognized that this little narrow place here on the Detroit River between those two lakes was the logical place to have the railroads um, cross. Uh, how, how close is it? Like, is it, that's the narrowest point, right? How it's the narrowest point, and it's um, you know, as we'll see, it's about two thousand feet across the river there. So mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a, a narrow span, no. and a difficult a difficult span to bridge. Um, the first railroad bridges were proposed in the late 19th century. The uh, The initial idea, I think, was to build a tunnel. What the railroads were doing prior to that was they the, the, the train line would arrive there in Detroit. They would put the trains on barges, barge them across, and then put them back on the rails in Windsor and send the train, you know, the trains up to Toronto. And do, then, do you think the engineer stayed in the train? East on the boat was he like toot toot? No, they put a new engine on. A new engine end, right? on either side. I bet you they they uh, you know they still do that. The the Alaska Maritime Highway puts whole trains on barges here in Seattle and ships them up and takes them off the other side, um, or at least did when I was a kid. I think probably still do. Are they now just taking containers off of flat cars? Probably. Yeah, maybe. It, but it's probably not big barges full of box cars like it was when I was little. Barges full of box cars. But but it was a choke point, and it was recognized that this was a real you know this really slowed commerce, and the shipping interests that were using the Detroit River going north and south, bringing barges through as part of the the St. Lawrence Seaway, they were not inclined to give any. Um, to give any quarter to the railroads that were running barges east and west across the river. You know, there was... Well, the railroads are the enemy, right? Right, a natural competition. Uh, 
the the first attempt to build a tunnel under the river was you know was sort of they started working on it in the early I'm sorry they started working on it in like 18 like immediately after the civil war 1870 oh they attempted a tunnel before a bridge yeah attempted a tunnel 1870 that's really early for a tunnel that long right it was and they didn't succeed uh they got there and kind of couldn't couldn't finish it and and bailed out of it in uh a little bit later well simultaneously but like in the mid 1870s um they started discussing a bridge uh the the shipping interests refused to allow any plan that had piers in the river because it would impede the shipping passage. Oh, you can go around up here. And so, you know, they, so what it required was a suspension bridge that spanned the entire river, mm-hmm. which was technologically just to sort of above their pay grade at the yeah, time. Yeah, at the time, like what, what's the early suspension bridges? I mean, the Brooklyn Bridge Brooklyn is bridge. later, right? Um, well, that would have been- Around the same time? Sh- sure, 1870s 18- or 80s? Looks like it's about the same time. They started building the Brooklyn Bridge in 1869, but and it wasn't completed until the 1880s. But the you know the um, the East River is a much smaller span. Uh, the Brooklyn Bridge is how how great a, a span is it? Also, the Brooklyn Bridge is is uh, has piers. The main span is between the two between those two piers is 1600 feet. 1600. Yeah. So this would have been. This would have been a longer span than that, and um, and there wasn't they weren't they weren't able to put together a consortium of financing for it. It was sort of a pipe dream for a long time. Um, in 1910, the Michigan Central Railroad and the Great Western Railroad sort of combined forces and were able to build a railroad tunnel under the waterway. But there were a lot of other railroad interests that converged at that point that were sort of um, kept out of. I mean, this was a this was a private uh, undersea railway and not one that had been made available to to everyone. And it's international, right? It's an international crossing. It's, it's a channel. It is a channel, and in fact, it was the first tunnel ever to connect two nations. Uh, was crossing a border very informal back then? You didn't have to worry about. Uh, no, I th- think there was no guy at a toll booth in the middle of the tunnel. I think the opposite. I think crossing a border then there was a mountie there that wanted to make sure that you had you had enough provision to survive the winter. <laughs> um, but this was the this was only the third sort of tunnel of its kind and the first to connect two countries. So it was um, it was a. You know, a big a, a big event, but it still didn't serve. The, there was it, there was no car traffic. There was no pedestrian side to it. It didn't and help anyone except one railway, except operator. for yeah, Michigan Central and the Great Western. Um, and so it was not until after World War One that the that there was a renewed push to build a bridge. And the you know the the idea was Canada made a lot of sacrifices in World War One that. Canadians, the the Newfoundlanders, the the peoples of the maritime provinces, they they um, they made a great contribution in World War One, and a lot of men died. So there was an idea that they would build this bridge as a kind of mem- uh, memorial or a monument to the to the Canadian sacrifice. Ah. 
But this was also a time when Detroit was beginning to become a uh, an industrial an industrial center. It was the beginning of the American auto industry and and the communities around Detroit and across the river in Windsor were uh, there were you know all these factories devoted not just to making cars but making all the the material that goes into making cars, all the support network of things, you know. I guess I never thought about some of that spilling across the border, but Windsor became a big Canadian industrial hub, huh? It did, and in fact, there uh, there were a lot of auto makes that um, that also were manufactured in Canada in Canadian factories. So you can buy American cars from this period, 60, 50s, 60s, 70s. The mid, I'm sorry, not this period, but the but twentieth um, century American cars that are Canadian made, have Canadian names, and look. Almost the same, but have slightly different headlights, taillights configuration. It's like when you go to Costco and the TV or the washer dryer or something has a you know a different number, so you can't actually you can't. comparison shop. The manufacturer is <laughs> like, sure, we'll sell you these, but it'll have like a weird nameplate on it. Is that right? Is that why I can't uh, take my Consumer Reports page down to Costco and they've thwarted you? Oh. Do you want to look at the, your little Consumer Reports page with the little circles and the yeah. half circles and the red? Yeah, give me the one that's the best buy every time. No, no. Amana doesn't want you to do that. Boo. Uh, So they did. They started working on the, they started working on the bridge sort of in that, uh, in that post-World War I timepiece. And in 1929, they completed uh, uh, this, finally they bridged this span. And there was now an international bridge. At the time, it was the longest Suspension bridge in the world. Did you say what year it opened? I missed 1929. it. 1929. 29. And it was only uh, it was only a few years later that the George Washington Bridge opened and surpassed the span. But but it was briefly for. Do you always feel sad, like when Chrysler Building is only the tallest building in the world for like a few months? It always seems like a little bit of a downer. Yeah, you're you're working on it, and you're like, we're the tallest building in the world. Happens in sports, too. You know, some guy edges a record, and then, you know, he only has it for a year. Yeah, and I think that's what's so amazing about uh, those records that stand for so long. Um, Yeah, those are people who are ahead of their time. Bob Beeman was an alien from the future. But... This bridge became uh, became a super important link between the United States and Canada. If you look at a map and you... That's what I'm doing right now. You look at Toronto and Chicago. There's no other way around. This is this bridge is the shortest distance. Like, the, <laughs> like really, the option, if you don't have a boat, is to, like, drive up into the wilds. Yeah, I mean, if, from Chicago, if you went all the way around, you have to go around the top of Lake Superior, basically. That would that would be a crazy that would be crazy. But even though even that's what Google says, if you're like avoid tolls, <laughs> avoid tolls. Yeah, okay. First, head up into Superior National Forest. Now there are other bridges across uh, across that gap between Michigan and Ontario. That's what I was going to ask. Is, is is there any narrower spot? There are other bridges, other tunnels. It must not have been. I mean, at the time, there must not have been because this was the Narrows. But since then, they have 
There's a bridge at Point Edward, I see. Yeah, there are other routes. They aren't the most direct route. And right in the center there is uh, is Lake St. Clair, which is a strange little... Always been a thorn in my side. Yeah, a little pond that you have to go around. And in the case of... If you're coming from Chicago, and this is all happening pre-interstate highway system, but now after the advent of the interstate highways, like if you're on I-94 or you're on I-75 and you come to Detroit, it is not handier to continue on those freeways all the way up to, to uh, right. Sarnia. So you got to go north of Lake St. Clair. Right. So this is the, this is the direct connection and it goes, I mean, the ambassador bridge goes from downtown Detroit to downtown Windsor. And in fact, on the Windsor side, it just empties out in that delightful Canadian way right onto the streets. Like you get off your, and then you're just like at a stoplight. And we see that here from Seattle going up to Vancouver. Right. Where you're on o- this Oak street or whatever it is that goes right through Vancouver. <laughs> you're on the, you're on the freeway, you know, and then you're all of a sudden you're just like in Vancouver. There's no, they, they elected not to. Yeah. The highway turns into, is it Oak street? Is yeah, that what that is? Yeah. They elected not to build a, a freeway through the center of town. And so does it, I mean, if this is the artery between, a major American city and a major Canadian city. I mean, does I mean, it must, is it a nightmare? Does that thing back up? Well, it does. the 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 Ambassador Bridge over time uh, became such a necessary artery that it was it, that it. I mean, today it carries, if you can fathom this, twenty five percent of all trade between the United States and Canada, Whoa. who are major trading partners. That's, so people don't understand this, even in our time. Canada is our biggest trading partner by far, dwarfing China or anybody you would think of as our number one trade partner. One quarter of that trade goes across this bridge, and um, which, is, which is astonishing and made more astonishing by the following fact. The bridge is privately owned. Wait, what? Today? It was built as a private enterprise, right? A, uh, it was it was sort of funded by a by a group of people that raised the money to put it together, and, and we're, it, we're very sad about Canadian uh, wartime heroes. And Canada chipped in, and America chipped in, and it was you know it was kind of freewheeling times um, before the before the stock market crash of twenty nine. All of this was was happening in the go go years. People were singing, "We're in the money" as they built this bridge. And it was it was owned by uh, by the Bauer Bowers family for a long time, and they fell kind of on hard times at a certain point and took the bridge public, started selling stocks, um, and uh, a little fellow that you may have heard of um, who runs a company called Berkshire Hathaway. Oh, is that right? You, uh, Does you, Warren Buffett uh, are you, controls the bridge? Are you aware of this uh, This guy, does Warren he, Buffett? Does he live in a little house above the bridge <laughs> like the people that raise the basketball bridges here in Seattle? Warren Buffett started buying stock in the bridge because he is uh, part of his... He's a savvy guy. He's a savvy guy, and he understands that transportation hmm, is... A, 25% of all trade to Canada. Yeah. So he started, he started uh, buying stock in the bridge. This is now we're talking about in the late 70s. The bridge must be a toll bridge. Otherwise, it's hard to see what the profit motive is today. Yeah, it is. It's a toll bridge. Um, and uh, It must just be a money machine. Well, it is. In fact, uh, it makes tens of millions of dollars a year. Mm. But at the time, the late 70s, you know, it was kind of a depressed time and things were sort of generally falling apart across the country. 
But a man by the name of Manuel Maroon, who was a, a Detroit trucking scion, uh, his father was a Lebanese immigrant who had who owned a couple of gas stations in the Detroit area. And over the course of, of uh, several decades, the family was pretty savvy. They, um, they sort of parlayed their gas stations into a trucking business. There, was a, there were some cartage businesses, a hauling company that owed uh, Manuel's father some money, and he ended up taking the trucking company over and then expanding it. And he became a, like a, a hauling magnate for the area. Self-made man. That's right. On and, hauling. And his his son, Manuel, took over the, the family business and recognized in the opportunity to buy shares in this bridge uh, that because he was – his trucking business was very auto industry focused. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of trucking of parts and services back and forth between Windsor and Detroit. What about those big car carriers? I love those. I'm sure they had car carriers. I'm sure he had, I mean, but also I think they're making the auto business is so diversified, right? There's a factory that's just making the handles to roll the windows down Mm -hmm. on Chevy Caprices. Probably not anymore, (laughs) (laughs) but all of those parts and services need to get schlepped. It's rubber. It's, and and then it's related stuff to run the factories. So. And so Manuel made a play for the bridge because he just sort of instinctively recognized that owning the bridge, if that was really an opportunity for one of the truckers, one of the trucking companies that's doing this business, it it probably would give him an advantage over the other truckers. Possibly a uh, possibly an illegal advantage, right? Like, <laughs> well, stops charging tolls to your own trucks, jack up the tolls on the other trucks. The thing is that is the bridge, the bridge is not a monopoly because there's the tunnel, right? There, well, so and there, uh, there's another tunnel called the Detroit Windsor Tunnel, right? That that's what I'm looking at. In 1930, that was a car tunnel, and so the. Uh, it's a duopoly, though. Yeah, the, the the car tunnel opened, and there was now an, a different route for car traffic to take. Now, the tunnel has all kinds of restrictions on freight. You can't take explosives, or uh, you, and also I think there's a lot of limitations on any kind of trucking you can take through there, commercial trucking. Size-wise? But you can drive cars, and so technically uh, the bridge doesn't represent a monopoly. But from the standpoint of trucks and trucking it's really the only the only viaduct there Mm -hmm. and so uh maroon does his uh, does some stock buying he ends up with about a quarter of the stock in the bridge buffett has a quarter of the stock and maroon just sort of outplays him what a maroon i know he buys uh he buys buffett out and ends up owning the bridge he bought it for about 30 million dollars at a time when uh, it was probably making close to that in tolls just in a year. Seems know? like a good buy. It was a good buy. Why didn't I hear about this? It was, it well, was in 1979, you didn't have as much money was, to invest. I was five years old. Yeah. As, like many five-year-olds, <laughs> I did not have $30 million to put into bridges and tunnels. Do you remember a couple of years ago when the Silverdome was for sale? No. Yeah, you'd have to assume the debts, but like the Pontiac Silverdome was for sale for like... 
$90,000 or something. <laughs> and I was just like, do I want the silver dome? Like we all, we all have to look at ourselves in the mirror and think, yeah. how much do I want to own the Pontiac silver dome? I mean, you could have so many monster truck shows. You could reenact WrestleMania three shows. <laughs> I, I, I think about this all the time in terms of wanting to buy a, a castle in Scotland. Mm-hmm. You can get a castle in Scotland for not that much money. But then you own a castle in Scotland. It's, it's the upkeep, John. It really is. You know what the two best days are for castle owners? The what? day you buy the castle and, and the, the day, day you, you sell, sell the it. castle. Right. That's what we say in the castle business. You know, just think about like running a broom over that thing. <laughs> like every, you, as soon as you get done sweeping it, you have to start at the top and sweep it again. A castle is a hole in the highlands you pour money into. <laughs> Well, this bridge ended up being a bridge in the Detroit-Windsor area that poured money into you. Um, Me? Personally? Not not you, but into Manuel Moron. Okay. Um, You're speaking to me as if I were Manuel Moron. It's kind of a little um, play uh, play acting thing we're doing. Yeah. Role-playing. It's a little role-playing thing. I'll be be, uh, Lebanese American uh, investor Manuel Moron. If you could be a little shorter and a little more litigious, (laughs) uh, you'd be a great character. You can be Warren Buffett and you can feel like you got hosed here. The the thing about the bridge is that when it was built, there wasn't an interstate highway system. There was not a sense of – of traffic being this unimpeded flow. Yeah. It wouldn't have felt like an oddity for some guy to to build a bridge and own a bridge. Build a bridge, the, own a bridge. The London Underground was built by private companies who owned those lines. That's right. And But at a certain point, there was a kind of, with the London Underground or with a lot of these private ownership of public works situations, where some eminent domain factored in and governments recognized, like, we need to nationalize, you know, in some in some cases, we need to nationalize the underground in yeah. order to standardize it. Some nations like to nationalize the entire oil industry. Uh, <laughs> when, are you are you a Hugo Chavez skeptic on this show? <laughs> when, when you depose a Shah, for instance, you know. Uh, right. But uh, but in this instance, the respect for private property and the litigiousness of this man, uh, despite a lot of growing outrage that this choke point was controlled by a single kind of uh, eccentric. Is he going to turn into a Bond villain and uh, close the bridges like uh, like well, the Joker? Well, not that. Or but Bane, I guess. But uh, as the interstate system expanded, it did not ever fully connect to the Ambassador Bridge. So sort of like the, the, the interchange in Pennsylvania – Breezewood. Uh, Breezewood. We CF Breezewood. We see a situation where although this bridge is handling 10,000 trucks a day mm. on the Canadian side, it just dumps them out into downtown Windsor. Now, t- Windsor, Canada is sort I, of. I've never been. It's kind of famously. Is it a dump? Not. Uh, not the crown jewel of Canadian cities. I've annoyed Canadians once this year. I can. If you want me to be the one That's to say right. Windsor's kind of a dump. You you are already reviled by by uh, Toronto Blue, Blue Jays, Jays fans, fans far and wide. And you know Detroit isn't really America's right, fair uh, like hottest city either, although it's coming up. It will be in 5 years once the you know the vines cover everything and then the coffee bars come in. No, that's all, you know, the, the they're tearing the vines down. They're they're sprucing it up and we'll see that in a minute. Um but there were many many attempts to build 
what was what were called gateway plazas that were going to direct traffic onto and off of the bridge. On the Canadian side? On the American side and Canadian okay. side. But they were thwarted uh, by Manuel Maroon. Why does he not want his bridge to be welcoming? Well, because he controls the duty-free shops on either side. Is that true? Oh, my gosh. And controls the duty-free gas stations. Now— why are there duty-free gas stations? Well, that's a really good question. Was, was some kind of this was negotiated in the? It, it's just a it's just a, a quirk of the of the way the the land on either side is owned and the way it's administered. But you know, there's a thing called the the uh, the International Fuel Tax Agreement, which is yeah yeah IFTA yeah IFTA <laughs> a complicated kind of math that uh, that interstate truckers have to perform when they go from Canada to the United States and from state to state, because every state taxes gasoline in a different way. Nations tax da- gasoline a different way. These guys are all math wizards. Well, and so trucking used to have this sort of really burdensome system where they had little tax certificates for each state that they traveled across and were paying different taxes. And at the end of the year, they had to figure out what taxes they'd paid in 25 different states that they'd traveled in Canada. This actually speaks to me. Because yeah. like when I go when I go talk at a if I do a little event at a university in Nebraska, I actually declare that and I will pay state tax to the great state of Nebraska, even though there's no way they would find me if I didn't. So at the end of the year, sometimes I'm paying, I'm filing twenty different state tax returns, and I feel like a rube. I do it too. I I pay California taxes on things I do down well, there. Well, they get you, and they, they sure do. <laughs> uh, but also, when we used to tour in Europe a lot, like we had to pay. Uh, European taxes, and we also got exempted from some taxes, and the UK and Ireland have different rules. And so tax time, you've got all these pieces of paper, all these taxes you paid to different places. You some be of one it of these tax-dodging rock stars. Yeah, I know. I what are you been. thinking? Should have been. Well, we, we, we made just enough money that we, were, that, we were, uh, that we were over the line of like, you're visible now. You can't, you can't just like stuff it in your underwear. You can't just run to France like Mick and Keith. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start but so the international fuel tax agreement was one where where truckers needed to keep track of where they went but they didn't have to keep individual track of their taxes. And at the end of the year, at the taxes they paid at different pumps, at the end of the year, it, there was sort of an average was taken. How many miles did you travel? How many states did you cross? Here's your tax bill. And then we're going to apportion the tax out to the different jurisdictions. 
But Manuel Marone's gas station there at the edge of... Um, this is just one gas station with a huge line of cars big, snaking back big, into Canada. Big superstation. Um, he was able to, because the taxes that are being paid on, on gas stations on either side are about 60 cents a gallon. Uh, he was able to charge a few cents less, still make his gas the cheapest in the region, mm-hmm. but he's basically taking the 50 Six percent, oh, fifty-six he, cents. He doesn't of tax. mark down fifty cents. No, he and, doesn't, and let the cars line up. No, he takes all that. He, he takes that. Takes that additional. What? What I think the jurisdictions around him think of as the tax dollar, mm-hmm. and he just puts that directly in his coffer. So it's it's pure profit for him. So he had very little interest in helping uh, Canada or uh, the United States direct traffic smoothly on and off his bridge. He wants you to stop at the stores and buy Toblerone. That's and, exactly right. And, uh, <laughs> and duty-free Gordon's whiskey. Gin, yeah. And then fill up your gas can. Uh, he has two companies, one called the Detroit International Bridge Company, and then the Canadian side has the has a company called the Canadian Transit Company. They're both part of his Centra Incorporated empire. So he has political entities on both sides that, that advocate for it. That do for his it will. Um, it's been recognized for a long time that this is an untenable situation and it really sticks in the craw of governments on both sides, especially Canada, I would assume (laughs) incredibly just really, really sticks in their craw. And they've tried to do, they've tried sort of everything they've tried to, um, just build a second nicer bridge right next to it. Well, you know what? That is ultimately their plan. That'd be hilarious. The problem is that what you what we forget in the United States uh, a lot as Canadians kind of um, puff up their shirts and talk to us about their their uh, liberal democracy and their their um, free health care is that Canada is full of conservative Tea Party wingnuts, just like the United States, anti-tax people, um, crazy uh, sort of like gun toting. I mean, they don't tote guns like quite the same way. But, 20 minutes outside of any major Canadian city. And so there's been a lot of resistance to the idea of building a huge government uh, bloated project to um, – To duplicate something that's already working. To duplicate this yeah. working thing just to, just to cut out this guy who's making an honest buck. What happened at 9-11 really uh, – put in bold relief the problem, which was that it, uh, everybody saw immediately, I mean, within an hour of 9-11, attention had turned to the Ambassador Bridge because of its like rare position as the uh, kind of economic linchpin. If you wanted to do damage to the American and Canadian economies, all you'd have to do is take down this rickety old steel bridge and we're talking about billions of dollars a week in, in revenue lost. Um, and so the bridge became, uh, uh, too bad people were fixated on the skyscrapers. Well, I know they, you it, know? there were a couple of things they could have, uh, the nine 11 hijackers. Again, I'm not suggesting that you try this, but there were a few places they could have, uh, they could have targeted. I get the symbolic value of a big phallic skyscraper, but they really were fixated on it, you know, from the, tr- before the truck bomb in the nineties, just this, what we think of as kind of an ordinary American skyscraper, maybe because it has world in the it's name. It's World Trade Center, but <laughs> but you know they the the hijackers 
wanted to blow up the Pentagon because I don't know what, because they, because it was like an F you, but if they had directed a plane to the ambassador bridge, they would have done a lot more harm. So the ambassador bridge suddenly became a security concern and the, the state of Michigan national guard flooded on there with machine guns. All of a sudden they needed to stop every single car and truck before it went over the bridge to search it, to make sure that it wasn't filled with explosives. And so in the months after 9-11, the line to cross the bridge was 12 hours long. Oh, you missed that kind Mountie. You really do. The kind Mountie era. The KME is over. um, Oh, and I remember it too. I remember being on tour before 9-11 where you you drove into Canada and you didn't even really put on the brakes. You just kind (laughs) of waved and they were like, howdy, neighbor. And then after 9-11 where all the Canadian border guards were dressed in black camo with with like submachine guns and they were like, get out of the car. Uh, you're in a band, you say, what kind of band? But, uh, but the tunnel too, you know, this was a, this was a choke point on both, both the tunnel and the bridge. But again, all the truck traffic really had to go across the bridge. And so in this moment, the recognition that it wasn't just that this was a, that this was a monopoly, but the bridge is, the bridge is extremely narrow. It's not a six-lane highway bridge, right? It's like a it's a bridge that was built in nineteen. Oh yeah, I guess it's so. It's just two each way. It's two each way, and so it was. You know, traffic was down to one lane because because of Marone's resistance to build these plazas, there wasn't room or any setup to build a giant sort of. You still see it in airports that had no place to put the TSA, the new TSA stuff, right? So they, stuff spills down. Like in Newark, it spills down the side of a hallway, you know, because there's nowhere to put the line. Yeah. Remember that period when they were just putting false walls up and like, <laughs> right. okay, well, this side is secure and that side's not. That used to drive me crazy. What's the backup like on this bridge today? It's still four hour wait to get across the bridge at, at certain times. Good thing there's podcasts. I know, right? You could. I'm sure there's someone listening to this show right now waiting in line on the bridge. Sorry. Um but the United States and Canada finally arrived at a plan to build a uh, to build a replacement bridge. I'm sorry, a second bridge. The screw you, Manuel Marone International Bridge. That's basically what it was, and they built it all the way. Sort of, they built it quite quite a ways away. Next is funnier. Next two is funnier, right? Well, Marone said, and I'm I hope I'm pronouncing his name properly. It might be Maroon. But that would be, you know, I don't want to say, I don't want to open you up to make what a maroon jokes Again. over and over. I think it probably is maroon. Maroon. Yeah. yeah. Like Haroon. Yeah. Uh, Manuel Maroon. Let's, let's go back and we'll just take us saying maroon, maroon, maroon. And we'll just slice that back in and every, every place it'll be like one of those recorded messages where it's like Ms. Manuel Maroon. Mr. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he sued uh, to block the construction of a new bridge. And he said, I will privately finance the construction of a neighbor bridge to my bridge, like build a brand new one and I'll pay for it myself. All you have to do is, you know, whatever, b- build porta potties at each end, which really sent the tea party people on both sides of the, of the, uh, of the river, a light because they're like, here's a guy, a capitalist guy who's going to build it for free. And yet you, you know, big inefficient government wants to do it your way. That's right. Wants to just build, you know, pay tax dollars for something that somebody else wants to do. 
But his lawsuits, which had always been pretty effective in defending himself against government intrusion into his own business, he wasn't able to uh, to block the construction of this bridge. And he used all kinds of unscrupulous techniques. He had fake environmental review and stuff like that. He did that. He went down and uh, his like operatives from his company hammered eviction notices on the doors of all the houses in the neighborhood that would be kind of in the off-ramp area, like fake eviction notices where people came and, you know, like were were meant to immediately call their congressman. Um, It turned out that one of the things he didn't, he didn't have to do. This was just like a, like a trick of fate on the Canadian side. The approach to the new bridge was, uh, the habitat, one of the few habitats, and the only one in Canada, of the endangered butler garter snake. So we've got our very own spotted owl. That's right. In so this story. the garter snake, the butler garter snake, is largely indistinguishable from <laughs> the common garter snake. It just belongs to a butler. It comes on a silver tray. <laughs> the The differences are that it's a small-headed snake. The, this, it has a small head, and I don't know if you've ever had a small-headed cat. Or seen mm-hmm. a small-headed cat, but it's an abomination of nature. <laughs> you don't want to see and that. I don't want to see a small-headed snake it's either. Like it's, a, it's a pinheaded carnival freak. The other thing about the butler garter snake is that when it uh, when it feels endangered, uh, its method of escape is not to run, but is to just sit in place and thrash around. Oh, I, I think I see why it's uh, such a threatened species. <laughs> it's all it's all coming together. <laughs> but there are very there are very few populations of it, and it is it's 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 even. It's even. It's uh, certainly extinct in the future. So, or or the future or futurelings are just. Yeah, maybe this is, maybe this was the the bridge <laughs> thwarted bridge project that uh, that kept them alive and they took over the ecosystem. Well, it turned out they they didn't want to stop the bridge program. And again, this is another thing that gets that's get gets called out by people who are who are given to conspiracy. Uh, the government of Canada hired biologists to relocate the Butler garter snakes. Out of this sure. uh, little area, just stomp in. They all start wiggling yeah. in place. That's right. Grab them, throw them in a bag. I mean, they're garter snakes. They're not going to hurt you, right? But that again seems like um, seems like an awful lot of sort of government pork barrel. The free hand of the market, John, <laughs> would not have had to move garter snakes. Uh, but they began construction of it, and what the governments had the ability to do was to reroute their highways to their new bridge, and so. In, yeah, they they have the power to put a sign up like it's like the fake eviction notice. They can put up a sign being like dangerous privately owned bridge this way. <laughs> Ontario Highway 401. And so I I should say full disclosure, I've been across this bridge many times. I've been in the tunnel many times uh on tour as a yeah. in my rock band. And Ontario Highway 401 is this highway that's basically the main artery of Central Canada, and it goes from Windsor to Toronto and then into Quebec. And it's a very frustrating Canadian version of an interstate, which is to say uh, the thing that is most frustrating about it is that the speed limit is 100 kilometers an hour the entire distance, (laughs) which is, for those of us using imperial weights and measures, 62 miles an hour. Um, And it's just a... It's the fastest anyone has ever gone in Canada. It's a road from one place to another, and it goes, you know, you think of Canada, this is, this southern part of Ontario, it's where the majority of the population of Canada lives, 
but you can be on highway 401 and drive for hours and just not never see another living soul uh but it isn't it's not quite an interstate in the american sense of mm-hmm. it just being like a super highway it's sort of more like what we would call a state highway or in, in in portions, right? There are other portions that are built up. And it looks like it just ends by an aluminum plant by the Detroit River. <laughs> it does. It does. And in fact, in in Toronto, in the in the within the city of Toronto, uh Highway 401 is the busiest road in North oh, America. I've heard that. Yeah, I've I've been on it. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a true highway there. And uh and a and a big fat one, but out in the out in the country, it's just it's just a place that trucks go. But the Canadians have been routing 401, and the uh, on the American side, they've been routing I-96 and I-75 toward this new bridge and building giant plazas and giant access roads to it, all the while being sued by Maroon. So they can't build the actual bridge. Uh, right, but, they are, but they're building these sort of what, what people love to call highways to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the, still the only way through is through through poor long suffering downtown Windsor. He's a troll. He's literally a troll with a bridge (laughs) and he's making everybody answer riddles. And he, he, you know, he is making, um, they're estimating that the new bridge will make $70 million a day in toll revenue. Um, geez. He's, Oh wait, 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 not a, not a day, not a day, $70 million a year. I'm sorry. $70 Seventy million dollars a day—that would be ludicrous. But 70, I'd, I'd build the bridge for 70, that. Seventy million dollars a I'd year. I just build it and tear it down in a week. I got my four hundred ninety million. <laughs> That's I'm right. Good. What the hey? What the hey? It's I'm, like you can't lose. I'm good to go. I, uh, that, that's that's so dumb. I can't believe that I said it. But seventy million dollars a year. Is there a completion date or? So they have only. So there were a lot of lawsuits. There was a lot of. Uh, there were a lot of. Just your typical kind of, what are we going to do about this garter snake? What are we going to do about who's going to own this? The government of Canada and the government of the United States arrived at an agreement where Canada would, they would, they would join forces to build a bridge. Canada would get the tax revenue from the tax revenue from the bridge for the first 50 years after completion, because they would be putting in, you know, they, they'd be making a larger investment in the construction, but the United States had the the candy bar concession, you know, it was a, it was a. It's back when you would imagine the United States would exist in fifty years. You know, <laughs> they might want to renegotiate that today. Um, so they began construction on the new bridge in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, the in the intended, uh, conc- you know, the 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 completion date is 2024. It's going to be an enormous bridge. It's going to be a 2800 foot span but it's going to be one of these new style and that's uh, the width that's the oh yeah 2800 <laughs> foot width it's a cable stayed bridge so it has that sort of a shape right a giant sort of cable in the middle and then and those are very elegant bridges very very uh, bridges of their time though right i mean 50 years from now you're going to look back at those cable stayed bridges and say was that built between 2005 and those were trendy 2015 uh, and they struggled with, uh, with with what to name the bridge. They they sort of figured that uh, they were going to call it something like the Detroit International Commerce uh, Collective, and they realized it spelled Dick. You know, there was a couple <laughs> like problems like that where uh, 
where they couldn't settle on what to name it. And eventually they decided to name it the Gordie Howe Memorial Bridge. <laughs> Because <laughs> that seems like a joke. It does seem like a yeah, the guy that died from the tragically hip Memorial Bridge. Like, <laughs> like that sounds like something that uh, I no. guess it unites America and Canada, right? No, he, not Gordy Howe, the, the tragically hip singer. No, that's a different Gord. But I'm just saying it's like a it's a name you would choose as a punchline for what a Canadian would name a bridge. Right. Well, but the thing about Gordy Howe is that although he is a he is like a a. Um, He's like a great son of Windsor, Canada. He played most of his he career for, for the, the Red De- Wings, Detroit yeah. Red Wings. Yeah. So both sides can. It's the both one thing. Sides. It's the one thing that Detroit and Canada can agree on. <laughs> Everybody high fived themselves the, all around. Although the Gordie the, Howe sure was great. The Gordie Howe Memorial Bridge does seem like it seems like something from SCTV. <laughs> What's interesting right now is that by some quirk of of uh, SRO, Google ranking, if you put in Detroit Bridge into Google, into a search engine, you get the Ambassador Bridge. If you put Detroit Bridges, the first thing that pops up is the Gordie Howe Bridge. And it pops up like a big, like, would you like to map to here? You know, it has the whole the whole suite of internet um like validation, like the Gordie Howe. Are you looking for the Gordie Howe bridge? Even though it does not yet exist. It does not exist. And for five years will not exist. Vaporware. But they have, they have begun. They've built the, uh, the entrance plazas they have. on the internet as well. They've begun the project of Xing out the ambassador bridge and eliminating, uh, eliminating Manuel Maroon's sort of oligarchical, uh, hold on, on, commerce in the Western sphere. The thing is that they can't take away his two cent discount on gas. And that concludes infrastructure week here on the omnibus, the ambassador bridge entry 039.EZ4705 certificate number 36634 in the omnibus. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era you can find the archives of our work at Omnibus Project on any platform you can think of. John was at John Roderick. I was at Ken Jennings. Uh, hopefully that stuff survives to see the completion of the bridge in, what, four or five years? Yeah, five years. But it's not a lock, for sure. I mean, it's not done until it's done. Until you until you break that champagne, until you cut that ribbon... Also, Manuel Maroon could, I mean, Manuel Maroon is an old man now, but he's, he's got a, a son who's, who's also, he also knows a bunch of lawyers. He outlived Gordie Howe. I guess the thing is that Gordie Howe died in 2016, probably right around the time that they named the bridge. So that's the yeah. time of maximum Gordie Howe grief. That's right. In Detroit and in, and in greater Canada. Yeah, they could have named it the Brian Boitano bridge, but. <laughs> <laughs> Elvis Stoico International Plaza. I was uh, I was in uh, Volunteer Park in Seattle the other day, and I, I was reminded that the park was built on the eve of World War II, but to honor the last veterans of the Spanish American War. Yeah, that's right; those were the volunteers. Who are, you know the and I, I bet a lot of cities have volunteer stuff named for the Spanish American War volunteers. Well, any any city that has a Union Park, a Union Plaza, Union Station, those were all named uh, during or immediately after the Civil War. So the Civil War, we still remember. For obvious reasons. Spanish-American War. But I was kind of thinking, there's a little, the nostalgia here for the Spanish-American War 
is uh, did not did not really pan out. Well, cities like like Seattle that in 1896 were just experiencing their first flourish, they're looking for you know they're looking for their version of Union Station, right? It seems it's a little they're a little bit late to the party to start calling things, you know, the General Grant Elementary School. So it's like, what have, what have you done for me lately? I do like the idea of putting up new statues to General Grant or, or whatever, just to, to counteract the Confederate statue thing. If oh. they won't tear theirs down, do what, do what uh, the government's doing. Build a second bridge. That's right. Put build a, build put more a, northern statues. Put a statue. Put, a, put them on public land in the middle of Atlanta and Memphis. And, <laughs> a statue of Sherman. Yeah, right in right the middle next, of Savannah. <laughs> right, just, no, facing Robert E. Lee across the same plaza, just, just General Sherman with his, his hand in his jacket. And it's like the volcano in Vegas that goes off every hour. He shoots a flamethrower at, at General Lee every hour Why on the hour. Why don't we do that? He just he has a, like a confetti cannon that just poof. It's like Vegas Vic, the big neon cowboy. But it's General Sherman. Uh, John was on Instagram as well. Uh, on Facebook, a thing we all deplore. Um, there was one bright shining corner of it for the futurelings. We encourage you to look up that Facebook group or its analog on Reddit. Uh, you can send us physical uh, artifacts via email. John basically has a side business reselling your um, your dead grandparents' stuff on eBay. Yep. So, so make sure to send him all the cool stuff from the attic. Listen, you know, I just bought a mid-century modern house. And so although I would mm. love your father's or your, grandfather's his, his, pocket watch. What you want is your dad's Eames chair, right? I do. I want some Eames chairs. I want any kind of old bullet-shaped light fixture or Sputnik-oriented uh House accoutrement. If it's in your house and it's shaped like Sputnik and you haven't sent it to John, you're not a real fan. Any kind of fan. Apollo or Gemini or uh, or Mercury space program ephemera. If it looks kind of like a monorail, please send it to John Roderick, care of Omnibus Project, P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 985155. You don't have to send me any of your, your junk. I'm good. No, Ken's fine. Uh, you could send us email if that's the more convenient way. Like if you want to send us a photograph of your Sputnik-shaped stuff, uh, you could do that. Send that to theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Really the best way to support this endeavor and the time capsule it provides of knowledge to the people of the future, who otherwise will not know who Gordy Howe is, uh, would be to donate of your substance. Please, if you can make any kind of financial contribution, uh, we would really appreciate that, and it would ensure the longevity of the Omnibus. You can do that at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. We're so grateful for those who have already done so. We truly are. Thank you. And we, we're we're going to start rolling out bonus content for our Patreon uh, donors, and I think we've it been... It may have already happened by the time you hear this tricky oh nice yeah that's right a Just little part bit of the a, part of the omnibus time paradox time concede. is a flat circle um i should mention that uh that manuel maroon also he owns a, a wide variety of businesses and for, please tell me it's a chain of strip clubs <laughs> no i'm I, well as far as i know no but he did for a long period own the um the michigan Central Station, the old decaying railroad station oh, the there station in the center in the of, Detroit. of Detroit. Do you remember it? You've seen it? I've been to that part of town. I it's, don't know if I've ever been in the station. Well, you wouldn't have been in it. Oh, you it's, can't? It's a 13-story building that, um, until recently, was completely blown out. All the windows were gone. 
it was, you know, it was crumbling into the ground. And Maroon bought it when, at a time when he could. I've, I, I went to that station when it was still an operating train station. The first time I went to Detroit was 1986 and was traveling by train. So I, I, uh, I saw it in its, in its crumbling decline. Maroon bought it. Amtrak moved out in 88. I guess he bought it after that. And he's one of these neg- negligent landlords, right? He just let the station fall apart. He owned the the Roosevelt Warehouse, which was this giant old beautiful warehouse right in that same neighborhood, mm-hmm. just let it fall completely to ruin. He just recently sold the the central station to Ford. And Ford is as a plant. Are they actually going to put a plant there? Yeah, not a plant. They, they're rehabilitating it as, um, you know, like a lot of these businesses now are getting into real estate because that's really all they have. <laughs> uh, like Sears. Sears can't make a make a, a living as a department store, but they own they own a lot of land, like trillions put of dollars co- of condos and yoga yoga studios on. Right. So Ford is Ford has put windows back in the train station, but that for people who have been to Detroit, um, that's a real landmark, and a, it's a it's a real symbol of like just the disaster that was Detroit. And now I, I hope the rehabilitation that's happening there. It's really tying into the juggalos entry. It, it really is, man. Detroit. It's where it all happens. Motor city. Uh, futurelings. Listen from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived, how long the ambassador bridge lasted until it fell into the ocean. Ma- Maroon is almost certainly dead by the time you hear this. He may have been the last Lebanese person named Manuel. We have no idea. We, we, we can't know. We, we, we also will be long gone. We'll just be memories. Maybe the Michigan Grand Central Station in Detroit is, the, is a world capital now. It may be like a Zeppelin docking station. <laughs> Probably. Uh, there's no way for us to know. But we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. And that that bridge stands to this day and you can get whatever fuel of your choice you can get your electric your car recharged for two cents less a kilowatt and buy kinder eggs if the worst comes soon this recording like all our recordings may have been our final word but if providence allows we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omni